Well, good morning again. My name is Pastor Milo. If you were here with us earlier, I did the welcome earlier. And, and guests, if it's your first time with us, uh, we said we're glad that you're here. But I didn't ask the question, why are you here? Not the question like, hey man, why are we here? Not like, no, like, why are you here this morning? So this is for our guests, this is for anyone. How many of you are here today because someone personally invited you to be here at church this morning? Would you raise your hand? All right, we got a few of you, good. How many of you are here this morning because as long as you can remember on Sunday mornings, Randall Church is where you are and that's just the way that it is? Raise your hand for that one. All right, so you're just, you're here, you don't know why, you're just here. <laughs> I'm here. All right, that's good. Uh, how many of you think that you're at the YMCA? <laughs> I say that jokingly because that has actually happened on a Sunday morning. Uh, we had someone come in uh, the front doors on a Sunday morning. There was a lot of activity in the parking lot. I guess he thought he was uh, on time for his class or a little bit late for his class. He literally had uh, flippers in his backpack sticking out of his backpack. He was ready to go for a swim at the Y. He came up the steps and was looking for directions to the pool. Real story, really happened. So some of you might think that you're at the YMCA, and I'm glad you stumbled into our service. Uh, if you want to swim in the baptistry afterwards, that is totally fine with me. We're glad that you're here. Why are we here? I mean, really, when it comes here, why have we gathered here together today? Uh, there's a lot of questions why that we deal with. There's uh, new uh, banners out in the foyer, and some of you are saying, well, why are those new banners out there, and where did they come from? And hopefully, uh, during this series, we're going to spend the next three weeks in a series called The Church DNA. Uh, we're going to answer some of those questions. Why? Why are you here? Why does the church exist? Why are we here? Why does it matter? And so the first thing, if you're getting out your notes, you can get them. Uh, it's a white sheet of paper. I know there's a few things in your bulletin today, but we have a white sheet of paper that help you track along with us. So if you want to open that up and then with your Bibles, make your way over to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Uh, in the pew in front of you, there's a black Bible. That's the New International Version. And so I'll be using that version just so that we're all on the same page. Uh, New International Version, uh, 1 John chapter 1. That's where we're going for the, the main context where we're at. You may have seen it in some of the things we've got written. Uh, I want you to know the mission of the church, why the church exists. Not necessarily why Randall Church exists alone, but why the church universal exists. And we call that statement our mission statement. We glorify God by making disciples of all nations. We glorify God by making disciples of all nations. You may have seen that written at another church at another location. Why is that? Because that is the universal mission of the church. In Scripture, we call that the Great Commission. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded, with, commanded you. Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the commission, that is the mission that the church is on as a whole. That's how you see the book of Acts unveiling itself. If you've read through the book of Acts, and some of you read through the book of Proverbs every day, there's 30 uh, books there. You, you could read through Acts in the same way and just get a heart for what the church was doing and why was the church out there and what was the Apostle Paul doing, what was the Apostle Peter doing. The mission of the church is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. So God is giving his instructions here to his disciples. But what does that mean for us? What is the vision of our church? 6301 Main Street, the church is here at this location. Many of you know our church is almost 
200 years old. We're at 190 this year, going into 191. Uh, the church was established in 1826, right down the road here in the village of Williamsville. When people came together, uh, the Amherst Baptist Society came together and started what we now call Randall Church. So there's something unique, something special about being right here in Williamsville at this location, at this address, at this pinpoint. And our vision is, or we talk about, is we invite every man, woman, and child to find their place upward, inward, and outward. Now, where does that come from? You hear us say it often. Usually we say it in the welcome. We encourage each one of you. We want you to find your place upward, inward, and outward. Well, that comes from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. This is when Jesus is calling his disciples. He is, he's saying this, Matthew 4, 19. He said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We believe there's three different segments to that verse that make sense to us as, as how we really see the vision of the church, that upward, inward, outward. He says, come follow me as an upward relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, don't, don't follow my teachings, don't follow what I'm passionate about, but come follow me. That is a God-given, when, when God came into this world through his son, Jesus Christ, that is a connection that is upward. Come follow me and I will make you, it says. That is a matter of discipleship. That is inward, that we are going to see that we will find our place inward when we make disciples, when we invest in one another, and that's what the local church is all about. And then we find our place outward when he says, I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men, that was exactly what the apostles did is they went out. They were the sent ones. Those 12 men changed the world. So that is our mission. We glorify God making disciples of all nations. Our vision is that we invite every man, woman, and child to find their place upward, inward, and outward. We want to talk today and in this series about our DNA. The DNA is what makes us a very specific and very unique and very distinctive characteristics or qualities of this church at this location. What is it that we are asking you to do as members of this church? I'll tell you, this is a, a series that I've been very excited about. This is something I'm very passionate about because I feel like once you understand the DNA of what we're about, when you understand the building blocks of why our church exists, once you understand the pieces that make up this organism, this organization called Randall Church, the local church, once you realize those pieces, then you start to understand how everything else fits together. And just like built DNA are the building blocks of our human body, the DNA that we're going to talk about over the next three weeks are the building blocks of the local church. That DNA stamp can be found in every cell in your body, whether it's a cell in your ankle, whether it's a cell in the center of your heart, whether it's a cell in your brain matter. That is the same stamp that is there. In the same way, you should expect to find the DNA of the local church, the DNA of Randall Church ought to be evident in whether it is a small group, a Sunday morning gathering, or a mission trip in Uruguay. That, that responsibility is for us to carry that DNA wherever we go. What is that DNA? And that's where we will spend the next three weeks doing. Our DNA is unchangeable. It's what marks our identity. It's how God has put us together for his kingdom and for his glory. So here is the three strands of DNA. We discover faith in Christ. These are your fill-ins this morning if you're working there. We discover faith in Christ. We nurture hope in the church. And we awaken love in the community. That's the DNA of what our church is about. We discover faith in Christ, we nurture hope in the church, and we awaken love in the community. Today we're going to focus on this mission of the church, this upward part of it. The first one in Christ, that's upward. Second one is inward. Third one, the community is outward. So we say that we discover faith in Christ. That is the D of DNA. 
There is certain power that is found in personal discovery. There's one thing to be told how something works. My youngest daughter uh, has learned how to ride a bike this summer. And so she went from riding on training wheels to actually riding the bike, and now she's firing up and down the sidewalk, and everywhere she goes, across the grass, up, down, everywhere. She's riding her bike everywhere. Now, many of us know what it's like to ride a bike, but discovering how to ride a bike is different than reading a child's story about how to ride a bike. It's entirely different. Discovering that for yourself is entirely different. As an adult, this week I dealt with very specifically, I had a plumbing issue in the house that I was fighting with. I had worked at it. I had run the snake through it, and it was, smelled awful. And like three nights this week straight, it was just hour after hour of trying to deal with this plumbing issue in our house. And I asked for someone. I finally broke down. I said, okay, I think we need to call a plumber. So I asked someone for advice. They said, well, you can either hire this plumber or you can go over to this place and ask these plumbers ask them for advice, ask them how to solve the problem that you're up against. That's usually free. That information is free. So I went, I explained the situation and talked to them about what I was doing. They explained to me uh, some of the things that I could do a little bit better. Went back home and I solved the problem myself. The plumbing is fixed, the drain is going through, and you think that's a small deal? Well, let me tell you, it was a very, very exciting thing. Just to hear the sound of that water, whoosh, it's a beautiful thing. The discovery of that ourselves. My family this summer has done a, a lot of camping. We were in the Adirondacks and we heard about this falls called uh, the Roaring uh, Brook Falls. Uh, in the description of it, it says in the summer, in the middle of summer, it's probably more like the Trickling Brook Falls. But, but go there anyway and go and see what it's all about. So we hiked up. It was about a mile hike to the top. We had our kids. I had a, one of my kids was on my back and we hiked our way through. And we started going down, we, were, we decided we wanted to look at the top of the falls before we came back to the lower section and look at the bottom of the falls to get a perspective of what this looked like. Well, because the riverbed was kind of dried out, what ended up happening was that you could get a lot closer to where the water was actually going than normal because the riverbed had dried up and there's just this small little thing going. When we kind of made our way, we realized that we were starting to get awful close to the edge of the falls. And I've got four little kids, and we're trying to figure out, wait a minute, I think, I think the edge of the falls was behind us. You know, like, uh, what, this is not good. Like, and, and, and so when we come back down to the bottom, we took a picture there because now we're there. So we took a picture there, and we made our way back down to the bottom of the falls. And you look up and realize you discover where we actually were. So this fall, is just to give you perspective, is 325 feet from the top to the bottom of the falls. It has one little hiccup in the middle and then it drops the rest of the way. Perspective, Niagara Falls is 167 feet. So this is twice as tall as Niagara Falls and we're dancing around like fools at the top of this falls. But we discovered it, right? And there's something entirely different about finding that out for yourself. Someone could tell you, I'm just telling you right now, hey, we discovered that we were at the edge of the falls that was 300 feet plus over the side. It's entirely different to actually be there yourself and be terrified that you're all going to die and it's going to all be your fault, right? It's different. We discover faith in Christ. This is a journey that we walk through day after day after day. Someone can tell you what it's like to be in relationship with God the Father through his son Jesus Christ. But discovering that for yourself is entirely different. And that's what the DNA of our church is about, is that discovery of what faith in Christ looks like. So let me give you three 
uh, ideas that have to go with discovering faith in Christ. This comes from John, 1 John, excuse me, chapter 1. Uh, the first fill-in for you here is discover the source of faith. Discover the source of faith. This is 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Verse 4, we write this to you to make your joy complete. John reminds us that he was an eyewitness. He saw, he touched, he experienced, he discovered what it was like to be with Jesus Christ. When he came into the world, he saw it. He said, I, I see what it was about. And from the beginning, in the Gospel of John, John opens up his Gospel in a very similar way. In the beginning was the Word, and he continues on with that. In the first John, he does it in the same way. That was which was from the beginning. And he's not only talking about his own experience with the beginning of the first time that he was interacting with Jesus the Son, but the beginning of all time and all creation, those things are the same. He's saying that was from the beginning, we have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon it. He said, I was there, I saw it, we were there, we saw it. And said some only appeared that Jesus was only human. Some saw him as a prophet, some saw him as a good teacher. And those things have not changed today. There are many people who will... Acknowledge Jesus as a fine communicator, as a person who could motivate people, as a leader, but they do not see the other half that John is building a case for here, and the half that is a theological stance for us to be able to grab a hold of again and again is Jesus is God. He was there from the beginning. Others would go the opposite extreme and say he was all God and he was no man. John's design here is to highlight the danger of each of those mistakes. So you'll notice on one hand, he insists here, the, phys the physical nature and the historical nature of Jesus Christ. We saw him, we experienced him, we were there with him, you were there with him as well. But he's more than merely a man. Verse 3, he says, and he calls Jesus the life. Remember in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What will the outcome of this message be? This message that Jesus is only, not only God, but he is man at the same time. The outcome of that message will be, it says here, the outcome is joy. It is living a full life. We're writing this thing so that our joy may be complete. Complete joy. Why do you come to church? This is why you come to church, John says. We come because when we meet together under God's teaching, through his holy word, when we dig into God's word, what do we find? We find life. We find that our faith allows us to live life with our eyes wide open, but with an excitement in our hearts, a passion in our hearts. That our worship changes when we sing songs of glory and praise to God. That our heart beats a little bit faster. Why? Because there is life inside of us because he was not only a man, he was God. And he is God, and he still interacts with you and with me today. That's what happens. That's why you come to church. Because when you meet together, and when you gather together, there's unity in that. This good news about Jesus we discover is the source of joy. He is the source. He is life. Secondly, we discover the pathway to faith. We discover the pathway to faith. Verse 5. 
This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not give out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we have claimed that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. You see, there's a problem. There is a threat to our faith. There is a threat to our joy and John wants to tackle it. And it has to do with our attitude in regards to sin and how we respond to its presence and its power in our lives. There are two wrong responses that he brings out here that I want to bring to light today. First one is sin doesn't matter. Sin doesn't matter. The idea that I can have a life of unrepented sin, I can live however I want, I can claim to be in a relationship with God, and I can have my cake and eat it too. And John here says, this message you've heard from him, I declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The two cannot coexist together. This sin nature that, that some believe that you can just live however you want and God loves you anyway, this, that, this goes against that. Secondly, first, sin doesn't matter. Secondly, I don't sin is another argument. John says a real Christian would never claim to be sin-free. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. In fact, if we claim not to have a sin problem, that, is, that weakness actually demonstrates our lack of faith in Jesus Christ. Our, our connectivity with Christ is damaged. So if those are the wrong responses to sin, what is the right one? If it's not to play at religion and live however you want during the week and come in on Sundays and pretend that you've got it all together. If it's not to pretend like you don't have a sin problem, to just act like that's something that doesn't affect you and you really do, then what is it? Because those, those responses are going to lead us down the wrong path. What is the right path? Here's the pathway, verse 9. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The clearest sign that you could ever see, the clearest demonstration that you are growing in grace and in faith is that you no longer sin. Not that you no longer sin, but now you're more aware of the way that sin pervades your heart. It's not that you no longer sin. It's not that you have somehow dismissed the nature of humanity, but it's that you understand that nature and that you understand that you need God's grace and you confess that sin again and again and again and call out to God. That is the pathway to faith, that confession of sin. So we discover the source of faith. We discover the pathway of faith. Thirdly, we discover the basis of our faith. Verse 9 says, we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. Faithful and just. We expect him to say faithful and merciful or faithful and gracious, but John says he is faithful and just. See, cleansing and forgiveness, John says, is not just a matter of grace, it's a matter of justice. How can this be? How, how could this possibly be our sin and our, our misbehavior and our, our poor choices and our bad decisions and the way we treat each other and the way that our relationship are broken around us, the way we choose not to forgive people? How can that be just? Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 has your answer. 
My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. How can forgiveness and cleansing be part of justice? You see, sin deserves condemnation, not cleansing. Sin deserves condemnation, not cleansing. That's what sin deserves. But as a matter of justice, John says, because of the heavenly courtroom, Jesus Christ stands there, and that's what's just. He stands there instead of you and instead of me. He is the basis of our faith. It is not our good behavior. It is not the works that we perform. It is Jesus Christ himself. He is the source. His atoning blood, the debt that he paid for sinners on the cross, and all who come to him seeking and cleansing receive it free. This is the wonderful news of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the basis of our faith. So to illustrate these Points. I want to run it through a different lens for you for a moment. If you want to turn over to John chapter 4, you can. This is where Jesus interacts with the woman at the well. And so if I run those same three points, discover the source of faith, the pathway of faith, the basis of faith, through this text, you will see what it looks like to discover faith in Christ. So first of all, I say discover the source of faith. If you remember, Jesus meets with this woman at the well. He meets with her at an awkward hour because she is a prostitute. She is there. She cannot be associated with the other women of the city because they would chastise her. So she's there in an awkward time in the, the hottest part of the day, drawing water from the well all alone. In John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus has explained to her that one day you'll have water that will not run dry. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, she said, can I have this gift? And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The well is so deep, the living water is so deep that you would not have to continue to ask. He said, you would never thirst again if you knew this gift, if you knew the source. The well is so deep and it's so immense and that water source, that living water is so immense that you would never thirst Again, he is the source of faith. Discover the pathway to faith. Fast forward to verse 15. The pathway to faith. The woman says to him, sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty. And I'll have to keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus just puts his thumb right on the issue. Verse 16, he tells her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus says to her, you are right to say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you are with right now is not your husband. You see, the understanding here is that the pathway to faith is actually what? Confessing the sin. She was dismissing that. She was trying to skirt around it, but he said, no, we're going to deal with this issue right now. I am the source of faith, but you are going to deal with it. The pathway to faith is acknowledging, being vulnerable, being authentic to say, I'm not going to hide this anymore. You actually are living in sin today, right now, and you need to confess that before the Lord. And in that, there is healing. You see that? Discover the basis of faith. Verse 25, after this discussion, she tries to take the discussion a different direction. But when it comes back to verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah, who is called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one who's speaking to you, am he. The source of this living water was him. 
the one who was going to forgive her of her sins was him. I am the one speaking to you. I am he. You see, that's the basis of faith. Now, if we take that and we look at that lens and we say, okay, that's a good passage of scripture. It's a good story. I see how Jesus works in her life there, but we don't bring it 2,000 years forward. We've made a mistake. And so if you look at this DNA, you, you look at this strand of DNA, say, how does this play itself out in today's culture, in this week? Let me demonstrate for you how these truths deal with white supremacists and this terror attack in Charlottesville. It deals with it just as directly as Jesus has dealt with the woman at the well. You see, we discover the source of our faith. You see, the source of my faith is not the way that people behave. The source of my faith, my hope cannot be founded in the actions and the reactions of those in power and those who are moving and walking and chanting things from the streets and what you see on the news. That is not the source of my faith. See, the source of my strength, the source of my hope, the source of my courage, the source of my identity is not in the people who are around me. Why? Because John in 1 John chapter 1 has contrasted the difference between who God is and his son Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. And he is not a man. He is above that. He is greater than that. And he cannot be confused with what men do. And so the source of my faith is not in how men do one thing and say another. The source of my identity, the source of my eternity is in Christ, in Christ alone. You see, the pathway to faith, when we run it through that grid, again, of the events of this week, this week, remember those two lies I told you? I refuse to believe that, that the lie that sin does not matter. If I live a life of unrepented sin, I cannot have a relationship with God. Darkness and light cannot exist in the same spot. I cannot have my cake and eat it too. Unrepented sin, I refuse to believe the lie that sin doesn't matter and I can act one way and have a heart that's different. I refuse to believe the lie that I personally and that you personally do not sin. How many of us have watched the news this week, and it's far enough away that we can say, those dirty, rotten people, look what they did. Look how they behaved. Look how they acted. I'm glad I don't sin like that. And this text refuses to allow that. John says a real Christian would never claim to be sin-free. If we claim to be without sin, it says we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When you go through this passage in verse 6, excuse me, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 8, it uses that word claim. If you claim that you do not have sin, and it refutes it again and again and again. You see, I need to embrace, and you need to embrace the pathway to faith, and that is to confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And I confess to you this morning, and many of you would confess the same thing, the sin of just looking away, the sin of apathy, or the sin of allowing someone else to deal with this problem, the sin of being silent and complacent and pointing the finger at someone else who's initiating chaos, someone else who's initiating and acting in terror, someone else, the reality is, is I am in sin as well. I need forgiveness for that. I have not stepped up. I have been afraid. 
You see, the basis of faith is where it comes down to. He is faithful and just. Jesus knows the wrongs that were committed this week. Jesus knows the wrongs that were committed in all of time when he stood there on the cross. Jesus knew that, and yet he knew all that pain and suffering. He knows the fear. He knows the terror. He knows our every weakness. And yet he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He did not die for me and for you on the day that we had everything put together and we looked good before him. It was on our absolute worst day. It was on the day when we either actually did it or emotionally did it, marched the streets and said filthy, rotten things. That was the day that Jesus Christ died for your sins and for mine and for every person on this planet. He died for all of humanity and all of its filth and all of its muck and all of its dirt. That was the day that he did that. And that is not fair. But it's just. It's just because before the Heavenly Father, it is His holiness and His purity and His cleansing that stands before God the Father. Yes, Jesus died for their sinful actions. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. Jesus died. His sacrifice was just. It was not fair. Justice will be served. See, this is the assurance of the gospel I know that I'm received by God, I'm safe before God, not because of how well I have lived or compared to my neighbor how well that I have lived, but because of who Jesus is, because of Christ's unfinished work, excuse me, his finished work on the cross, which I say, do you really get the gospel if you don't get that, if you're unsure about your salvation, if you're unsure if you have lived your life well enough, do you really get what Jesus did for you on the cross? If I ask you this morning and I say, are you a Christian? And your response is, well, I think so. On most days I feel like I've got things balanced out pretty well. I feel like I'm living for God today. Most days I feel pretty good, feel pretty secure in my faith. Then you are missing the point of the gospel. You are missing the point. My salvation is now secure because Jesus Christ is my substitute. He is my claim to enter heaven. I am going in under his name. Not mine. The band, you can make your way up in closing. This week we have a once-in-a-lifetime event, right? Maybe last week was a miserable week and we look at this week and we say maybe it will be a little better. This week we have this solar eclipse. But what a beautiful representation when we look at this passage. It says there is no light in darkness. And it demonstrates so well. And some of you, maybe you're going to make a trip down. We talked about it ahead of time. 600 miles, you have to make a trip to get the perfect full solar eclipse. I'm not making the trip this time, but, you know, 100 years from now, maybe I will. But when that, that light, the, the power of the sun is not, is not slowed down, is not stopped by the darkness... It'll take all day for the event to happen, and for two or three or five minutes, we will be in darkness. If you're in that area, you'll be in total darkness for two or three or five minutes. But that does not mean that the light has stopped or slowed down. Darkness cannot quench light. And so when you watch 
videos this week or when you look out and you got your special cardboard glasses and you're looking out at the sun and you see that and you see that demonstrated, what that happens is, is, is that sin cannot quench, darkness cannot quench the light, it says here. And that light ripples through and drives through and shines through all the darkness. And if you were here this morning and you want to know what is it that we are about as a church, I want you to know and understand it is about Jesus Christ, that upward relationship with Jesus. Somehow we get church activities and miss the gospel in the middle of it. We have missed the point. We have. We discover faith in Christ because of who he is. And we continue to discover that. And we continue to learn more about that. And we dive in because of who he is. So, Lord, this morning I pray for hearts, that they would be touched. As it says here in 1 John, we walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We've demonstrated this morning through communion. We've illustrated this morning through baptism. Even through child dedication, Lord, we have talked about how your life and your light changes everything. So, Lord, we pray that we'd be a place that would embrace, that we've got it written on the walls, that we've got it everywhere that we look, that this DNA would demonstrate itself that you are the one who cleanses us from all sin. We love you. We praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.